monetizing digital services since 2004, boosting the entertainment industry by making digital content accessible for everyone. AWG, where innovation meets monetization. LinkedIn presents. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Joshua Mata about curating a healthy organizational culture. Joshua Mata, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from LA. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about organizational culture generally, but more specifically, we're going to zoom in and talk about curating a healthy organizational culture, what leaders can do uh, to really facilitate that. As we get started, I wanted to share Josh's bio with everybody. Joshua Mata is CEO and co-founder of Coalition, which combines cybersecurity and insurance to help organizations prevent digital risk before it strikes. Founded in 2017, Joshua and co-founder John Herring built Coalition with a mission to solve cyber risk and provide security for all. The company now serves over 160,000 customers globally and is proud to be named to Inc.'s best places to work in 2021 and to Fast Company's most innovative companies in 2022. And I could go on, but I'm going to pause there. Josh, anything else that you would like to highlight uh, for me or the audience by way of your background, your personal context, or about Coalition before we dive on into the uh, conversation today? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, for me, you know, Coalition is sort of the manifestation, I think, of my entire career to some degree. So it's, you know, I tell people it's what would happen if you combined a financial service with a technology company and sort of an intelligence community mindset when it comes to data collection and analysis. And that, uh, that is very befitting to my background, which I'm, I'm happy to go deeper into. So 2021, 2022, you're getting recognized. You're clearly doing some cool stuff. Uh, I think that connects directly back to our topic for today around curating a healthy organizational culture. So with your company as a bit of a case study, what are some of the things you've been doing to be more innovative, to be one of those uh, premier best places to work where, where you're attracting and retaining the best people? Yeah, look, I mean, the recognitions are, of course, the outputs of the of many of the inputs and decisions that we've made since the company was founded. And so, um, you know, believe it or not, we founded the company in 2017. The first written document ever in the wiki uh, was not our business plan, although we do have an 80 page one that was later developed. 
uh, it was a culture document. Uh, and it really set out the, the parameters of these are the values that we want people on the team to, to uphold. Um, it wasn't so much like the corporate, the corporations, you know, values. It was really more like these are the values that we want the individual people um, to embody because we believe that high performing uh, teams are made up of individuals who hold these values. And so, uh, you know, it, it took us a number of years before we were recognized, you know, either as uh, one of the best places to work or one of the most innovative companies. But, but I think everything uh, is, is a, is a byproduct of those decisions we made very early on in the company's history. Yeah. And what were some of those cultural elements that you highlighted in that very first document? Um, when you were talking about those core values, uh, what for, for you and your founder, John, you know, what yeah. really was the foundational piece that you were trying to communicate to other members of your team as you started to build and scale? Yeah. I mean, we, we wanted to let people know that we were going to be deliberate about it for one. So I think in the culture document we wrote, like we are building a culture an identity an ethos, um, a belief system, if you will, and a collective passion and purpose for all that we do. And we literally laid out that this is exactly how we intend to build the organization. Some of those, um, you know, were uh, character, like that was a value that we, uh, you know, that was important to us, like that we, sh- we sweep the sheds, right? We're never too big to do the small things that need to be done. Uh, we can balance pride with humility, you know, absolute pride in the performance of the company, which is, I think, one of the reasons why you've, you saw years later uh, the recognition, but total humility before the magnitude of the task ahead of us, Um you know, humility was another one. Like, we, you know, we're not afraid to ask questions. Like we wanted to build a culture of asking and re-asking fundamental questions, which we thought would cut away, you know, unhelpful beliefs um, that would give us sort of clarity of execution. And, and really like the humility to ask a simple question, which is, can we do this better? Which is something that, you know, when you do daily for years, um, uh, you know, it's magical what happens. An- another important one, um, you know, was purpose. You know, we, we always felt that the more we have to play for, the better we play. And, you know, we were clear that we're all here to build something we believe in, to make a company that will last. You know, there was sort of a bit of an adage that, that we wrote down. I think it was the person with a narrow vision sees a narrow horizon and the person with a wide vision sees a wide horizon. Um, you know, that's what we wanted to do, right? You know, Martin Luther King didn't give the, I ha- you know, he gave the I have a dream speech, not the I have a plan speech. And so, you know, that mission of solving cyber risk of security for all, you know, that's, it's a big mission, right? But every day we go to work, you know, every meeting that bores us, everything we do just for money or obligation, you know, all the time we kill, like we're literally giving our lives for it. And so it it needs to be worthwhile. Like that was a big, important one. So those are just a handful. There was, you know, there's probably six in total, um, you know, that we laid out. And, and at the end of the day, you know, look, culture isn't what you write in a document. It's what you practice. Uh, and, and so we also tried to incorporate various rituals, if you will, into our just day-to-day activities that sort of reinforced, um, reinforced these values, right? And recognized people who, uh, who demonstrated them. Yeah. And that point is really, really important. So absolutely signaling to your people from the inception that you're going to be deliberate about this. That's awesome. I mean, that, that's something regardless of whether, you know, uh, six years later, you look back and you're like, Oh, I still agree with everything we put down there, whether you do or not. The fact that you did it and you did it in a deliberate way and a purpose driven way, um, yeah. signals a lot to people that, that it matters. And then you're working 
to actually integrate it in to various aspects of the business. So you just mentioned, you know, performance management and goals and expectations and how people are going to be evaluated, you know, that kind of stuff. That's really important. And in so many organizations, they have all these espoused values that look great on paper on the website when it comes down to where the rubber meets the road and how people are going to be compensated or given bonuses and the way the structures are set up, it undermines those very values. Uh, Of course, you're going to see conflict there. You're going to see, uh, at a, at a minimum, you're going to see some, some rub and some, some discord, but, at a, but it can actually really drastically undermine the, the type of culture you're going for and, and give you something totally different. And so what you're describing, I think is great. You're, you're laying the foundation, you're being deliberate, you're, you're having the conversations, you're integrating it into the various aspects of the business. So it's not a name only, but it's truly like you're walking the walk, all right. of that's wonderful. Um, and as I was framing up the beginning of the episode, you know, in the introduction, I talked about curating a healthy organizational culture. Some of that comes back to what you were just saying. I'm curious, though, I, that that word curate, that's something I, I really like that term in a way of kind of yeah. framing this up. What were some of those different elements that you're trying to curate and bring together um, and provide for your teams as you're trying to create that psychologically safe culture, that healthy organizational culture where everyone can, you know, bring their whole authentic self to the workplace where they can, uh, everyone feels needed, wanted, valued with an opportunity to contribute in meaningful ways where all of those t- sorts of healthy things are happening. Yeah. I mean, you know, part of it, part of the curation strategy just involved, you know, basic arithmetic. Um, and that was the belief that if we more than doubled the size of the company in a given year, that would be something that would, uh, would be almost certain to derail the culture we were trying to build. And, and why? Because, you know, over half of the team would have been with us for less than mm-hmm. a year. And, you know, a year is maybe a little bit of an arbitrary marker to, you know, determine when you're bleeding coalition blue or, or whatnot. And, um, but of course, you know, you've, you've vested in, in our company, like you own equity, you've made the decision that you're committed to this. And we always wanted sort of that group to be the dominant group in the company. So just not growing faster than that, like putting arbitrary breaks on things um, to some degree was, was important in that curation strategy. In terms of other, other things that we did um, to try and curate, it was, it was again, like building it into the orientation, you know, building those, those rituals um, into our company culture, you know, every team meeting at the end of it, we would recognize um, you know, someone for sweeping the sheds and whoever, who, or the floors, as we called it at the time, um, and whoever received that award would pass it on uh, the next week. And it, it then evolved into sort of a company talent contest where there were haikus and raps and music videos of the one person handing it on to the other. But I, I think it really built, um, it, it really helped us curate, uh, you know, exactly how culture was received and um incorporated into the team. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And I'm curious too. So you've been telling us a little bit about coalition, um, but prior to coalition, you worked for Microsoft, uh, the CIA. Um, what, how did some of those early experiences shape you and inform your approach to leadership and culture building that you then took with you as you uh, were a co-founder at coalition? Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say I took different things from different places where I worked. And, you know, perhaps the CIA 
maybe most obviously is it was all about purpose, right? Mm. I think it's hard to replicate like the mission driven, purpose driven environment. Um, you have, you know, an incredibly talented group of people who could all make far more money in the private sector um, than they do working in government. Um, but they, but they choose that decision because it, it, it gives them purpose. It gives their lives meaning, you know, when we felt like we were helping people every day, um, hard to replicate that. Right. Uh, and so what I learned from there is, you know, if we want to attract the best people, which is ultimately the, the core asset of our, of our company, of any modern, you know, digital company, if you will, you know, we have to have, we have to give them purpose. We can attract be- much better people if they can get behind the purpose of the company. Um, so that's definitely one of the things I took away uh, uh, from CIA. You know, of course, Microsoft, like I was there at the, you know, the dot-com boom. It was an incredibly exciting place to be. Also a lot of purpose, but in a different way, right? Like it gave people who just were fascinated by technology. Um, you know, they were, the internet has, you know, had fully arrived. Um, yeah. You know, it was, it was the, the dot-com boom. And, you know, if you were a technologist, like that was an exciting place to be. Um, you know, Microsoft just created. Monetizing digital services since 2004. Boosting the entertainment industry by making digital content accessible for everyone. AWG where innovation meets monetization in that environment. Uh, I should also mention that, you know, they hired me when I was, uh, I guess they hired me when I was 14. I think I was 15 when I walked through mm. the doors. And, and so for a very large corporation to take such a risk on someone so young, you know, I, I had enough self-awareness to know that that in and of itself was rather extraordinary. And so I think that, you know, that's given me uh, an interesting perspective to, you know, never underestimate the, the people who show up and raise their hands and say that they want to be part of coalition, they want to be part of the mission. Um, you know, I, lest I have a pot calling the kettle black moment, I can hardly turn away, you know, the smart, exciting, interested 14, 15, 16 plus year old or whomever, um, you know, that has a passion for for what we're doing. So, uh, you know, that, that entrepreneurial spirit, that's something that, you know, Microsoft was great at, at attracting that's something that I think we've, uh, you know, we've tried to attract. So there's a lot of entrepreneurs that ex- that are within coalition. Well, that's interesting. Uh, you must be a very talented uh, and skilled person to be hired at Microsoft at that age. <laughs> or lucky. Um, uh, that might be the other attribute. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so it's interesting, though, because how many organizations really just arbitrarily cut off huge segments of the potential labor market, um, people that could work for them and add value to the organization. And in your case, it's because you were really young. Um, but yeah. you know, in some cases it's, it's age on the young side. Sometimes it's age on the older side. Now, of course there are laws against age discrimination, but we know it happens all the time, <laughs> especially in, in, uh, certain sectors. And so organizations, you know, come up with other reasons, but, but age is often a driving factor, uh, you know, in, in many organizations. And so we have all these arbitrary things, yeah. uh, and these biases that, shape the, the way that's right yeah the biases that shape the way we view someone's ability to contribute um another one that i just it kind of irks me it's irked me for a long long time is you know when you look at a job posting and you just see arbitrary years of experience we want 10 years of experience doing xyz i'm like that doesn't mean anything like someone could have 10 years of crappy experience and that doesn't make them more qualified than someone who has one year but is passionate and ready to learn and roll up their sleeves. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's really interesting to see how different organizations approach these things 
and I think if you want to be a best place to work, if you want to be an innovative company, you got to peel back the layers of bias and and look at what really matters. And that is someone's ability to contribute. Uh, and that shouldn't yeah. matter about you know all the different things, race, gender, um, uh, ethnicity, uh, sexual orientation, age, all the things, all those things shouldn't matter. It's like, how can someone contribute? And if we're really, truly looking for someone's ability to contribute and allow them the chance to do that in a healthy way, then, then it's a win for them. It's a win for us. Uh, I know that's a simple idea. Um, no, and, I, and probably I most people would say, would agree with it verbally. The problem yeah. is in practice and structurally the way a lot of organizations run, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think certainly one of the advantages I've had is being able to sort of live that like in, you know, in my own way, shape or form, um, you know, and ironically in a startup, you know, oftentimes those years of experience that other people have, whether they're great or not, um, they're, they're, they're not healthy. Right. I mean, if, mm. if definitionally we're trying to do something different, the yeah. bias of anyone who has years and years of experience is to do things the same way that they always have. Um, and so ironically, like in a startup environment, you know, you oftentimes want to hire the people that have never done the thing. Mm. Um, you know, you just want people who have a bias for action and who really care about the purpose of the company. You know, if you have those two things together, like someone's passionate about what they're doing, they want to act, you know, they're going to contribute. And I, I can take another example, right? Where look, uh, you know, today I run a, a, a fairly large insurance company. I've never worked in an insurance company in my life prior to founding mm-hmm. one. Um, you know, why, why did I get into the industry? It was ultimately because I wanted to solve a problem, right? Like, I didn't believe that cybersecurity was going to be exclusively solved by, you know, more mousetraps and technology, you know, widgets and whatnot. Like those things could all be very helpful. And there's lots of great people building great cybersecurity companies to protect um, organizations. But at the end of the day, it's a risk management problem. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't eliminate cyber risk, um, but you can eliminate the cost of it by by insuring it or transferring it to an insurance company. And I knew that that was a critical piece that just wasn't, you know, fulfilling its promise. And so I'm like, look, I'm going to go set up an insurance company. Like, what right did I have to do that? None um, whatsoever. And so I kind of re- remind myself of my own experiences. And we've got to overlay that with how we think about attracting talent. And, you know, from the top down, it's like, no, more years of experience doesn't always mean, you know, a better outcome here. Like, if we want to think differently you know, these are the real traits that we have to look for, irrespective of, like you said, what someone's age is, what background they had, et cetera. Another interesting thing, you know, I know at Coalition, this is something you dealt with, and I, I suspect you have ideas about this more generally too. Um, you know, having this robust organizational culture is hard enough to do when you're together in person, but we just went through, you know, three years of, of a COVID environment, the, the attitudes that many employees and workers have around uh, how work is designed and where and when they work has shifted. So now there's more of a work from anywhere mentality. Um, to what extent have you leaned into that and how have you maintained and and really sustained a robust organizational culture in this current work from anywhere era and environment? Yeah, well, look, it's it's certainly not because we had a functioning crystal ball, but, um, Mm. you know, we had the advantage of being a remote first company since the day it was founded. 
which was in 2017. So several years ahead of of COVID and the the forced kind of move to remote. Now, remote first didn't mean everyone worked from home. Right. Um, it just meant that it had to be an amazing experience for people to work from their home um, because that was the lowest common denominator. Like if if those people had a great experience. And, and could contribute to the mission in a meaningful way. You know, anyone in an office could clearly do that. And then we just let people kind of choose, um, you know, where they wanted to work from. You know, we had a lot of employees in in San Francisco. You know, the the apartment sizes, you know, not as big as uh, in the parts of the Midwest and other parts of the country where, you know, we had, we had uh, other parts members of our team. And so some of those people wanted to come into an office, right, to just be able to get out and escape, you know, the home life or whatnot. So we've always maintained a number of offices. We've always let people even who work in an area that where we don't have an office, you know, go into a WeWork or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority of our employees, including present company here today from my home in Los Angeles, uh, you know, we work remotely. And so we had the advantage of, of building um, in the infrastructure, the operational processes, the culture, the like battle rhythm, if you will, mm-hmm. of coordinating across, uh, you know, geographies including international geographies from very early on. So when, when COVID happened, it wasn't really a change of pace in terms of how the company, uh, in terms of how the company, um, you know, changed its operations. And we've stayed that way to this very day. Um, you know, and it's something that's allowed us to just attract talent that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to attract. Um, you know, the best people in the world are not all in the same geographic location. It, it turns out surprise, surprise, uh, and many of them have very good and legitimate reasons for wanting to be where they are. So, you know, if we can create an environment where they can thrive, then that's advantageous to us. Um, so, you know, we've been committed to sort of a remote work culture from the from the beginning. And, and, and it's, again, helped with that talent attraction. The most people, again, are the most important part of our business. As, as I talk to a lot of different leaders, there's a lot of different attitudes about remote work, hybrid work, you know, having distributed teams versus being, you know, in a particular geographic location coming into the office. Um, And there's, you know, currently there's a lot of people pushing for more and more people to come back to the office. Um, There's a lot of articles out there about the importance of being in person. Um, There's, there's articles and there's lots of, of work and industry reports about, organizational culture and and how it it's strained and how it doesn't work as well when you're remote and distributed. Um, and I look at all of that and I, I'm an organizational development, change management, leadership guy. Uh, that's my area of research and what I teach and what I consult on. And so I, I look at these arguments and I'm like, yeah, I mean, on, in, 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 on, on one, um, aspect, there's some truth there. Not all experiences are created equal though. And you can have amazing uh, distributed remote teams that have an amazing culture and you can have uh, face-to-face teams that have a terrible culture. So it's not there. I don't think there's necessarily anything magical about being together in person. It can make it easier to, to, um, to, to create and sustain a culture uh, when you're doing it purposefully and mindfully, you know, when you're in person and you have more organic opportunities to interact with people, it can happen easier, but it doesn't mean it happens automatically and it doesn't uh, always happen better. And so it's interesting to hear you talk about how coalition has gone about doing this, how you've always been a remote first company, uh, how you've always made sure that you've put um, those who are working remotely 
you know, as top priority in terms of employee experience. And I think those types of things really matter. Um, I'm also wondering if, if there's been specific leadership strategies that you and your co-founder and others on your executive team have used to try to implement and support this sort of a culture, especially when you're in a more uh, remote first kind of an environment. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I would, I would say, you know, to, to what you said, it's like, there are many paths to nirvana, right. Is the mm-hmm. way I think about it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's relevant or even logical to think that there's like one way in which every organization should do things. So, you know, I think the debate over in office or, uh, you know, or remote is, is just distracting and, and a bit irrelevant, you know, and mm-hmm. this kind of, for us, it kind of goes back to a, a cultural value um, that we have again, one of those six, um, which is authenticity, right? You know. Like in, in two words, it's know thyself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that is inscribed on the inner chamber of the Luxor temple. And it's, you know, it's equally been inscribed in our, our culture. And that's that like, look, we refuse to be distracted by the clamor of whatever other people are doing around us. Um, you know, we refuse to be trapped by dogma of like, mm. it has to be done this way and only this way. Uh, you know, we, we have the courage to follow our heart and intuition. And so, you know, there are segments of coalition of our team that do come to the office every day, yeah. right. Where that's advantageous to them. That's advantageous to the business. And, you know, we're not dogmatic about it um, as a company, you know, we, we just want to optimize um, the intersection between the employee work experience and, and obviously the, the, the business, um, in, in the mission achievement, because ultimately the success of our business is is highly uh, levered and attached to the success of our mission. And so that's kind of, we're trying to find that like efficient frontier, if you will. And it's never perfect. And, uh, you know, sometimes it involves making sacrifices and trade-offs, but, you know, that's how we talk about it as a team. And look, we're not afraid to relitigate it. it, it we really have to have the courage to follow our heart and intuition. And so at the end of the day, that means that you know, individual leaders are making decisions as to what is optimal for both the employee experience and for achieving our mission, uh, which is tied to, of course, achieving our business result. So that's really how we've gone about, you know, thinking about the remote versus in-office um, experience. Well, Josh, this has been a great conversation. I know at the time I'm going to have to let you go here in just a minute, but before we wrap things up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Yeah, of course. Uh, you can you can hit Coalition up on our website, uh, coalitioninc.com. Uh, we are on Twitter as Solve Cyber Risk. Uh, you can hit me personally. I'm just at Joshua Mata on Twitter uh, or Joshua at coalitioninc.com. Um, you know, in terms of final sort of word, I mean, for when it comes to company building, we think there's three ingredients. You know, it's easier than baking a cake. It's a good idea or ideas, and you got to keep coming up with them. It's capital and it's people. Um, you know, once you have kind of those first two people is by far the hardest in that equation, which is why I think we overspend and in, in, uh, in that area um, relative to some of our peers. That's just a lesson we've learned. And sometimes you need to know where to overspend. Just has always shocked me how little yeah. companies invest in talent development and whatnot. That's an area that mm-hmm. we've gone heavy into. Josh, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Joshua and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening 
by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.